Hi, Flannel Nation. Matthew here. We had some unexpected recording difficulties on this episode. Mike stopped working for no clear reason. It's mid-editing. Kind of a mess. Chuck has bravely offered to produce a segment that got it the worst, and I think you're still going to be happy with the end result. But that's what's going on if you should notice some strange cuts. We've worked out the kinks in the system. We'll be back at 100% next week. So with that, here's the show. You think we're bad for America? You think yeah. I'm bad for America? Yeah. You do? In the, in the long haul, I think you really? and all these opinion That's shows... That's sad, Ted. No, you know why? That's sad. Because you're very good at what you do and because you have, you have attracted a significantly you more influential. The well, let me finish the sentence. Let me finish the sentence you do that. With all due respect. You, yes. You have, you have attracted people who are determined that ideology is more important than facts. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. Uh, we are your hosts, the Dudes in the Plains. I'm one of your hosts, Chuck Williams. Joining me in Nebraska is my buddy and co-host, Brendan Williams. Brendan, how's it going? It's going good. Excellent. And joining us, as always, in Arlington, Texas, is our friend and co-host, Matthew Hodges. Matt, how's it going? Hey, man. Hey, it's great to be back. Uh, it's nice to have the whole crew together for this discussion. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of discussion, a lot of things to talk about. So what are some of the subjects here? Yeah, well, uh, we, we start off talking about um, Jared Kushner and sort of the developing kleptocracy of the Trump administration. And then uh, I loved your guys' mini-ep last week. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to it yet, go back and check it out. Uh, it's about this you know, crazy sword attack in New York. So we talk a little bit about that and how it's tied into extremist uh, online communities. All but right. As always, we're bringing out on a high note. All right. All right. That's right. We've got a high note for y'all. And it's about a man that's given over 32 gallons of blood over 64 years, his own blood, and it's all worked out okay for him. So Lots of bleeding for America this Lots week. of bleeding coming up here, so we'll just jump right in. business they're going to solve the opioid epidemic yeah. okay yeah right okay so to bring everyone up to speed the white house announced that they're establishing a new office called tentatively the white house office of american innovation uh where the acronym is literally who am i um jared kushner the how old is he 33 34 year old who real am estate that developer um mm. who already has on his plate by the way uh, solving skiing. the Middle Lots East peace process. <laughs> um, yeah, is, he's gonna solve that one for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, is he now figured going it out on to... the slopes while he was in Aspen while the healthcare bill was going down. He's doing a lot of hard thinking about Middle Eastern peace process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's gonna head up this new office. It's all about, and you listen to this, and it's just like mid nineties management speak, you know, we should have excellence in government. Kushner said Sunday in an interview in his West wing office. 
The government should be run like a great American company. Our hope is that we can achieve successes and efficiencies for our customers, who are the citizens. We need to synergize our yeah. freedoms <laughs> on this. And really, you know, we need to Six Sigma this. We need a, we need a new paradigm. Alpha. You know, <laughs> we need right. to touch base with the American, the American consumer. You know what they need to do? They need to disrupt the, you know, the government stagnation, you know? <laughs> Differentiate their profit maximization, you know? <laughs> right. We need to cut all health care and, and all taxes and everything. It's great. Yeah, well, and, and that's, you know, that's an interesting uh, take on it, Brendan, because apparently his office is also going to be responsible for solving the opioid epidemic, which we discussed last week as, you know, being obviously a thing that's very easy to solve and also has a lot to do, I think, with treating the American citizen as the customers of the government. Well, we just need to treat opioids like a business, you know. I mean, we just need to get tough on the bottom line with that. Because that's been the whole problem with the American government for so long. It's like it's just not enough businessy stuff going on in there. You know what I mean? Not enough corporate interest, corporate think. Not enough of that has been happening in the government lately. So finally someone's coming in saying like, what if we listened to right-wing corporate American billionaires right. who just did whatever they want. Right. You know, then we'd then we'd have all the problems solved. You you know, I almost I almost would be receptive to listening to someone say we need to treat this like a business where the citizens are the boards of directors, but they always look at the citizens like it's a, they're a consumer. So like the the end user is the one that's always shit on the hardest. Yeah, absolutely. You know. So if they were like, no, we're going to go to you first and we're going to answer to you like you're, you know, on the board, that would sound okay. But you're totally right, Chuck. Yeah. The the way the government's set up, the American people are not the customers of the government. They are the bosses. Yeah. Yeah. They should be beholden to us. They found a way to make it so that we're more just driving demand i guess right well and that's the whole way that they look at it right is that they say well what about the everyday citizen the way to help them is to help the job creators you know yeah we don't have to do like public opinion polls (laughs) forget that nonsense that Mm -hmm. that's meaningless you know what we really need to do is talk to big business because they're the real job creators and so we need to do just whatever they want to do just so they can quote create jobs which is invest in robots. Yeah, yeah, totally. Meanwhile, you've got Scott Pruitt, our new fossil fuel crony head of the EPA, um, saying that they need to roll back the Obama regulations on fuel efficiency for vehicles and pollution controls on power plants. And he literally said, we're going to roll back these regulations that were designed by the Obama administration to destroy jobs. As if they right. were sitting around going, what can we really do to the transportation mm-hmm. energy sectors just to completely destroy right. jobs? It's the it's the Obama plan for takeover. It's like step one, destroy all the jobs. Everyone loves it when you do that. So like whatever you do next, you're just going to be riding on a wave of approval yep. from all the jobs you destroyed that you could just get anything done. But I don't think anyone, you know, even within the Trump administration, seriously believes that anything could come of this that's meaningful or helpful in any way. I mean, this is a joke, right? He's literally appointing his son-in-law to just be like, he's going to fix everything. 
And it's like, yeah. you couldn't even unite Republicans to repeal Obamacare, which they said they were going to do for the past seven years. Oh, they took some 60 or something votes on it in the House of Representatives <laughs> right. over seven years. You think, mm-hmm. it, I mean, of all the things to do, you'd be like, okay, well, Republicans are clearly going to be united on that one. Look at it. They're talking about like all this party unity. You know, the Republicans won the election and they're united and they they have all three branches of government. They're finally going to get stuff done. And they literally can't even do the number one thing that they all wanted to do for the past eight years. Right. But yet they want to turn around and say, well, we couldn't do that. But what we can do is put a 30 year old in charge of fixing everything broken with the government in <laughs> the next, you know, six weeks. All right. Yeah. That's going to work for sure. This time it's just laughable that. They could even have the temerity to come out and say this with a straight face. Well, I think that, you know, Bannon and Trump literally think they've got Jedi mind tricks and stuff. They're (laughs) going to walk in. They're just going to walk in with, you know, whatever that freaking conservative caucus, uh, freedom caucus, and just say, look, this is what's going to happen. You guys are going to do this because this is our chance. And they're like, yeah. No, we're yeah, not going right. to do that. Which, and... you know, they don't understand that, you know, the Freedom Caucus is like Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi, where they're they're right. immune to that kind of party line thinking. And we've known that for seven years, ever since the Tea Party. We knew that these guys weren't going to play ball on anything. What's really depressing to me is people talking about how, you know, this is a victory for the Democrats and the Freedom Caucus. Like, oh, strange right. times make strange bedfellows, right? Like, well, right. OK, the Democrats combined with the Freedom Caucus did kill the bill, but for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and the Democrats are viewing this as what a great victory for us, the Democrats. When... And that's the easiest victory you could have. Right. To stand back just... and just let two dudes crash. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> to, to watch like a car accident and then go up front and just right. put your foot on the hood right. and say, I did this. The, you know? the Democrats are literally like the roadrunner in Wiley e. Coyote, where the roadrunner just is walking yeah. by, not even realizing what's going on, and then the coyote just blows up a rocket and slams into the side of a cliff. Right. And the, and the roadrunner's like, what was player. that? Right. And then they're like, you look at that, victory right there. Like, what a victory for the roadrunner. Yeah. He really accomplished a lot. Well, and the way Trump framed it over the weekend on Twitter, he said, Democrats are smiling in D.C. uh, that the Freedom Caucus, with the help of Club for Growth and Heritage, have saved Planned Parenthood and Obamacare. So it's like, man. Which was defund Planned Parenthood even in the health care thing they were talking about? That has nothing to do with the health care, even after they were making crazy last minute amendments. I don't believe at one point I heard... (laughs) defund Planned Parenthood as part of this at all. No, but I think that he was just trying to make the point that you <laughs> right. guys you cared you guys said. you guys cared so much about freaking maternity leave in these meetings and now you guys are going to just have a uh, free reign on Planned Parenthood as a result, you know. <laughs> it's going to be abortions in the street now thanks to you guys. Well, no, just kidding. And and what's what's really amazing to me is uh Trump's posture on the whole thing because you know, there was the the day that Paul Ryan's running all over town trying to get votes together. Meanwhile, Trump is sitting in the front of an 18-wheeler, like, big yeah. rig, pretend, you know, literally making truck sounds with his mouth. He had good, truck, you know, pro- he had good trucker posture. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. He definitely looks like a guy who's been sitting in an 18-wheeler for the last 70 years. Um, right. But then, you know, the next day, I guess Paul Ryan takes a, a visit to the White House basically to announce, basically to tell the president we weren't able to get this done. And Trump's immediate stance was, well, we're just moving past it. We're just going to we're going to walk I'm right over past it. it. You know, don't <laughs> you know, don't try to tell any of his supporters that one of his biggest policy planks he just doesn't care about. Like, I didn't get my way, so I just don't right. care about that anymore. Well, that's right. his self-defense mechanism. That's, his, you know, that was what happened when the USFL folded. That's what happens with all, when any of his businesses fold. It's the mentality that, oh, it was doomed to fail anyways, or, oh, no skin off my back. I mean, he literally treats it like it's nothing, and people's lives are usually right. ruined. Right, so. well, and he, and mistakes, he mistakes political capital for having more money in the bank to do more businesses. It doesn't work quite the same way. You know, he could walk away from a failed business because he still had all of these other businesses going on. But if he wants to accomplish anything, he has to have a single victory at some point. <laughs> I mean, to him, though, these are all victories because, right. you know, he's gone full circle. He went from saying, like, you know, we're going to do the best healthcare deal ever. I'm going to do it. I'm going to write the bill. To be in like, oh well, we'll just do whatever Paul Ryan's yeah deal might is. might happen on the same day yeah right <laughs> all this stuff uh, you know where I'm gonna do it day one I'm gonna do it it's gonna be so easy to do to repeal Obamacare I, you know it's we why is our government so stupid if Oops. I'm I'm the smartest person ever I get in there I'll fix it you know immediately no sweat and then you know saying we need to pass this bill this is a great bill you know this is our one chance you know everybody has to do this. I, you know, I can't believe they're not going to do it. And then today, you know, Sean Spicer literally came out at his press conference and said, well, what happened was that the president, you know, realized that this was a bad deal and he asked him to pull it down. So he <laughs> saved you and, you, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> and yeah, he no matter how catastrophically he fails, it doesn't bother him one bit. It's just he just turns around and says, yep, that's what I wanted to do the whole time. Mm -hmm. Victory is mine. Ha ha ha! Right. No one, no one's falling for that. Yeah. Well, apparently, apparently, something like thirty-six percent of America is still falling for it because you know Gallup released their newest approval numbers for him, and they're they're abysmal. But they're holding lower steady than Obama's thirties ever were in eight years. Oh, yeah. Obama has never been as unpopular as Trump is right now in his first seventy days or whatever. Mm -hmm. Which is like the honeymoon period. But you know that numbers don't mean anything anymore. I mean... Unless if, they're good for Trump, and then they mean everything. Well, then they mean everything, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what becomes of this? I mean, it's possible... I mean, you can't just make a case for impeachment based on low numbers, but I guess there's enough other well, things happening. That... Well, I think what comes of this is that the Freedom Caucus realizes that Trump is an idiot, that they can walk all over him because he has no idea what he's doing. So when it comes time to, you know, do the debt ceiling, they wouldn't pass the debt ceiling for Obama. What makes you think they're going to do it for Trump? Right. You know, what? what's the benefit to the Freedom Caucus Republicans to say, yeah, we said that we hated, you know, crazy budgets and, you know, inflating the deficit under Obama. But when Trump says it, yeah, that's fine. They could easily turn around and say, nope, we're holding the government hostage again. For mm -hmm. all of the things that we always hold the, the government hostage for, defund Planned Parenthood, repeal Obamacare, right. do whatever they want to do. And they 
should have no reason shutting yeah. it down because then it's just going to make Trump unpopular and they don't like Trump either. Yeah, right. that's right. And meantime, I think uh, as we get closer to the 2018 midterms, we're going to see more of the moderate Republican congressmen trying to distance themselves from him, you know, especially mm-hmm. ones in potentially contestable states or, you know, ones who are up for a primary challenge, um, which just further takes away his political capital to get anything done. Right. I mean, there's no incentive to work with Trump because he's, you know, insanely unpopular with all sides of the political spectrum. Mm. And, you know, his approval numbers, yeah, they're in the 30s now. Right. They don't show so any any signs of rebounding uh, unless something crazy happens, like a terrorist attack, which you know Trump would love. I mean, he's just got to be yeah. every day just, just praying for it, praying to the god of money that he, that he prays to. Um, <laughs> That 36%, though, that has to almost entirely come from, like, our states, you know, like, come from the mid. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, there's a chunk of people who, you know, they don't, you know, he was right when he said, I could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and, you know, still be popular. It's like, you know what? He probably could because (laughs) all of the supporters would say that guy deserved it when Trump shot him in Fifth Avenue. Right. Doesn't matter what the facts actually are. Right. Well, you know, I think one thing that everyone in America can get behind is the line item in his proposed budget that kills the Energy Star program that gives ratings to household electronics and appliances to, you know, make sure that people are (laughs) buying efficient, efficient products. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's a thing that we've all been pissed off about. Not. Yeah. Okay, maybe it saved (laughs) us something like. Almost uh, half a trillion dollars ever since its inception. Um, But, I mean, that's a job killer. Right. I mean, there's so many examples of stuff like that. Like, there was a report that he is planning to roll back uh, regulations for, like, required gas mileage on cars. Right. um, That the government keeps putting out and saying, like, look, your cars, new cars have to be at least this fuel efficient. Mm -hmm. And he's like, get rid of all that. That's just nonsense. And it's like... You know that people don't like to have to fill up the, their car with gas because it yeah. gets like ten miles a gallon. Right. right, Like no one, no one likes that. Yeah. Well, I remember back in the day when gas, you know, skyrocketed for a little while there in the early two thousands, and people couldn't afford the SUVs that they bought because they couldn't afford the gas to put in them. Sure, much less, you know, taking a a family vacation for Labor Day or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, those were good days because back then I would drive a hatchback and every time someone stared at me in a big truck or a big SUV, I was thinking... (laughs) Man, they must be totally jealous right now. That's right. that look in their eye. Right? <laughs> I remember uh, I, I was living in Omaha um, during one of the big gas spikes, and there was a guy on a, a Vespa, like one of those Vespa scooters. Those things get, you know, it's a little two-cylinder engine. Right. They get like 80 miles per gallon. And I swear he's just driving around, like flipping the bird on both both sides, <laughs> right. like driving hands-free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Terror-free suckers, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We must all efficiently operationalize our strategies. Invest in world-class technology and leverage our core competencies in order to holistically administrate. 
exceptional synergy. We'll set a brand trajectory using management's philosophy. Advance our market share vis-a-vis our proven methodology. With strong commitment to quality, effectively enhancing corporate synergy. Transitioning a company by awareness of functionality. Promoting viability, providing our supply chain with diversity. diversity. We will distill our identity through client-centric solutions and synergy. This is, this is a, a breath of, of, of oxygen into the lungs of, of, of small-town rural communities in very depressed areas of the country in Kentucky and West Virginia and Pennsylvania and parts of Ohio and that, that really need that, yeah. need that hope. And, and that's what he gave them today. The analogy might have been, might, might have been slightly troubling, I think, to some that you just made um, about lungs. But let me just ask you something about the president's well, promises. You're, you're talking to a guy whose, whose grandfather had black lungs. So... So last week, you guys recorded a, a little kind of mini bonus app uh, on this insane story of a racist dirtbag from Maryland who drove up to New York City <laughs> and stabbed a black dude with a sword. Uh, and the story has just continued to get more and more insane. One of the things that I found kind of interesting in a chilling way with uh this case was his motive with regard to the issue of interracial relationships so you know um jackson had said that he traveled to new york from baltimore intending to kill numerous black men imagining that the bloodshed would deter white women from interracial relationships quote if that guy feels so strongly about it, maybe I shouldn't do it, he said, imagining how he wanted a white woman to think. That, to me, was crazy on a variety of levels. First of all, there's just those echoes of, you know, lynchings in the past where it was all about, you know, like Emmett Till mm-hmm. and accusing black men of, you know, corrupting white women and everything. Yeah. You know, those kind of things. But also... On the terror side of it, when you think about radical Islam, quote-unquote, you think about people controlling women, not letting women be free, which is what, you know, I mean, people used to always say, well, we've got to bring freedom to those women. Think of how bad they're being treated over there. But then this guy, I mean, having that kind of control over white women, that's a similar vein of terror right there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't don't think that it's even a stretch to say that he has that sort of mentality about controlling women. Um, because if you look at, I mean, somebody publicized his uh, YouTube like subscriber history and it's all these really bitter 
angry uh, men's rights activists that that he followed, you know. So you know that that he's on these these online communities being radicalized the same way we talk about you know ISIS recruits from uh, from the Western world being recruited to go and fight in Iraq or Syria. You know they're part of these online communities that tell them this is the enemy. Anybody who's saying otherwise is complicit in it. And the thing that you can do is commit violence against the system because that will shock everybody. That that will turn people toward what you believe because they don't want the retribution or, you know, uh, combined with, you know, Chuck, you and I mentioned this on our uh, bonus episode that we released just a couple of days ago. Uh, listeners, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. It's only about 12, 15 minutes long. Um, it was our first impressions on the case. Uh, but I was speculating that this guy, you know, we, we, we haven't read much about his personal life, but I think that it's not unreasonable still to think that probably he came back from his military service and didn't really have anything else going on, you know, probably was unemployed or underemployed because that is what's going on in the economy right now, especially among um, men of that age. And, you know, so he, he takes to uh, Reddit or some of the, you know, extreme Reddits or some of the more extreme parts of the Internet. And he gets this message put in his head, just echoing over and over. I think one of the things that I was struck by, you know, reading about this story and some of the stuff you guys were saying last week about how the online radicalization of, you know, alt-right racists is almost identical to the radicalization that ISIS, you know, does of people online saying this culture is sick, you know, it needs to be destroyed. And then, you know, people read this and take it seriously and say, yeah, you know what, they're right. It, it does need to. And then they go out and they commit literal terrorism. And thankfully, this guy has actually been charged with terrorism Although you wouldn't know that if you've been listening to anything coming out of the Trump administration. Yeah, what was the what was Sean Spicer's statement on that? Because it was this really wishy-washy, um, intellectually dishonest take on it. Something, well, yeah, something to the effect of, yeah, it's bad that what happened, but also it's bad when, you know, people get blamed for it. Um, the conservative right gets blamed for these kind of things as soon as something bad happens. And then sometimes it turns out to have been someone on the left. So not a lot of sympathy there or empathy. Right. Well, and he was, yeah, I think what he was referring to there was this recent case with all of the whatever 120 <clears throat> bomb threats called into Jewish community centers. And then it turns out to be sure. this Jewish kid in his mid-20s who fancied himself a hacker and had dual citizenship between the U.S. and Israel, and that's where they ended up uh, picking him up. And it's true that the media did He was, like, trying to blame his ex-girlfriend or something, though, right? Yeah. Right. So, again, it's like, even when it's on the left, it's still a misogynist, you know, white guy, kind of. uh, (laughs) You know, it's... uh, It's the pot of gold at the end of every shit rainbow. Well, it's just just ridiculous that this is a pattern. Um, I mean, the... Uh, Dylan Roof, who shot up that oh, church yeah. in South Carolina and, and killed all those people right. at that black church. And yet, even though this is clearly a huge movement, like you guys said last week, that as soon as one of these incidents happens, 
they say, oh, it's a lone wolf. He's just a lone wolf. He's mentally ill. You can't blame right. mm-hmm. whole, you know, ideology, a whole political movement for these people. But they're on these forums and you know, Twitter and all this with just thousands of like-minded people just all egging each other on, egging each other to just take it to the next level. Right. Well, and Dylan... Just like ISIS! Right. Well, and Dylan Roof, they they both had been to uh, the Daily Stormer website. You know, if, if we knew, if the U.S. knew there was a media source where a bunch of terrorists were getting their information, you know they would do something about it. I mean, or you would think that they would do something about it, but... Right. There's these online communities where they're fostering hatred and driving people to commit acts of terrorism. And these online communities, you think, you know, who who are these people? You know, what, what are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Uh, and so 538 had this amazing article by a grad student who created this kind of algorithm to analyze the users of different sections of Reddit, different subreddits. And so they looked at the Donald, which is the biggest Trump supporting subreddit. And also I think like they claim to be like the biggest Trump supporting forum ever in the world, basically. Oh, and it's it's huge too. It has, you know, tens of millions of subscribers, right. I think. I mean it's so huge that it basically ruined Reddit for a really long time because <laughs> right. they were getting everything was getting upvoted so much it was like on everyone's front page just constantly and they were just trolling everyone with trump memes and it was just making reddit just a horrible place so reddit is no stranger to online drama uh Hmm. and you know one of the reasons is that these users they ban these subreddits so they banned these subreddits fat people hate and Coontown, which is a subreddit for making fun of fat people, and then just the other one is just being for being just straight up the most abhorrent racist that you can be. Right. And what happened to all those users is they went to the Donald. And so they did this like analysis of what if we look at people who use the Donald, who visit there, who comment there, who upvote stuff there, because that's all public, minus people who also look at politics, which is just the the main politics subreddit where everybody Hmm. looks at it and the top subreddits are fat people hate which i thought was banned but i guess okay now it's banned red pill which is um misogyny and tricking women into sleeping with you by being mean to them (laughs) right mr trump which is like an offshoot subreddit because people were like oh the donald's bad we we were better oh man there's so much there's so much drama behind that too because there was this one head mod who kept coming and going under different names and eventually they you know the splitters decided to peel off like a schismatic group that was mr trump instead of the donald yeah yeah oh and then yeah and so then coontown is the next one which is just yeah explicitly just like hey we're super racist and we hate black people oh it was awful Uh, that was banned as well and then 4chan so really, those are the people who are hanging out in the biggest Donald Trump subreddit in the biggest Donald Trump forum on the internet. Right. Um, but this whole uh, algorithm they built is, is fascinating because you can – I guess the data is like publicly accessible, so um, you can go in and you could do your own analysis and stuff to just figure out like what, what's the crossover between these user groups. Oh, sure. Yeah, so someone ran one of these analyses on Men's Lib, which is one of my other projects, and the results were – not terribly surprising. It was 
people who do a lot of meta commentary on Reddit, particularly the bad parts of it, and one subreddit that's called Against Men's Rights, which they're not really <laughs> against the concept of men's rights or men's issues. They just don't like the subreddit Men's Rights, which is, <laughs> if you ever go there, you'll, you know. It's, it's an unfortunate name. It's right. an unfortunate name. Yeah, they, they totally, they camped the, you know, I, I think I think men's issues is better anyway because men's rights immediately make someone think, well, men have lots of rights, so what's this about? Um, but... You know, so yeah, the the analytical tool is really interesting, but I think we also have to within this uh, within this conversation, we have to talk about you know the relative value or morality of the views espoused. You know, because it's it's not enough to say that you know like-minded people are going to hang out in like-minded places. You know, when we're talking about a guy getting swarted to death in New York City by a guy who had espoused white supremacist views. You know, we also have to talk about what's the content of these bubbles that people are, people are creating for themselves. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is the, another thing in this article that I thought was extremely striking was they did an analysis of what if you look at our conservative and you take out our politics, who are just like the mainstream users, and the comparison includes a subreddit that's all about Mary from the, like, Jesus's mom from the Bible. It's like, isn't Mary great? Let's all pray to Mary. And then also our AK-47 about assault rifles. Like, that's the audience where they're like, I love me some Mary and some assault rifles. (laughs) And it's like, that Mm -hmm. doesn't, that just doesn't seem right. That doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't seem like a good thing to me. It's quite frightening to me. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. No, certainly. That new math. But I guess, you know. But this is the this is the truck line. Hmm? But what what can be done? Yeah, seriously. I mean, where do we go from here? I mean, (laughs) uh, I don't know. It's hard to find some logic and overlap in this because I mean, even with this New York attack, the guy voted for Obama. I mean, this guy that is espousing as much hate as he can literally in every statement he's made since he's been arrested right but hey obama he married a black woman so like he's cool he's cool i guess yeah (laughs) he's reverting it back it's like someone got derailed in kansas for a little while but you know (laughs) it's good now so yeah yeah so Um, you have to wonder you know how did he make this switch and you know is this part of a bigger narrative of you know, angry young men in America being radicalized into extreme philosophies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this guy basically said, I guess it's like anything. If something gets pushed on you too much, you reject it. In 2008, Jackson said he voted for Barack Obama for president. One of the few people of mixed race he said he could respect. Quote, I couldn't let Palin get in there. She's stupid, he said, referencing (laughs) then-Republican candidate for Vice President Sarah Palin. So what can you even do? I mean, and then, and from there, he goes into the military where you are integrated. I mean, that's one forced integrated place. One thing that I was saying was that, you know, one of the things that was surprising to me is when they did this subreddit analysis. You know, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, that's really weird. And... It's 
it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me but then when you look at american politics you're like oh well no that does make sense it's like people who are super religious but then also like love guns even though i don't think that jesus's mom mary would have really just been all about the ak right it doesn't seem (laughs) consistent to me well that's interesting you know the uh I mean, the AK-47 subreddit, that's probably popular among some more niche uh, survivalists or, you know, Freeman on the Land sort of things. And if you've ever taken a look through one of the R conservative threads, I mean, they're interesting in sort of a freak show way, but it's not hard to believe that they're all, um, you know, pretty right on religion. Uh, But I wouldn't have guessed hardcore Catholic for that. I guess I would have assumed evangelical, you know, Baptist or something. Well, you know, Mike Pence, he's got some fans, some Catholic fans for Uh, sure. That's right. This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your Before uh, Chuck's oh, yeah. phone dies, so uh, Chuck, I think you had a cool high note this week. Yeah, I did. Hold on, let me pull it up here. It's about a guy donated like the most blood, or he got an award for he, don- like just gallons of blood. He he walked in with two buckets yeah. and said, "What do I get <laughs> for this?" this? Uh, <laughs> real blood fiend. Extra crispy, batter dipped. No, um, no. Kansas man gives thirty-two gallons of blood over sixty-four years. Wow. So. 32 yeah. gallons of blood. Yeah. Harold Facklum Jr. doesn't think about how his donations of 32 gallons of life-saving blood have affected others or even saved lives. Yeah. He remembers the reasons why he began his service to those in need of such a precious gift. And essentially... I was going to say, like, he doesn't think about the effect. He just really likes giving just, blood. Just well, getting stabbed. Yeah, and the article, I mean, it it was a little bit strange at first because he wanted he basically wanted to be able to contribute to the country, to the cause because he felt guilty about never serving in a war in wartime because he mm-hmm. was too he was too young for World War II and he was he said that he was about the right age for Korea, but he had gotten married and had a kid, so he had a deferment and he always felt kind of a little bit of guilt or shame for not um, doing more. So his dad had been, you know, had always donated blood. So I think he was like, 
you know, a teenager when he first started donating, but um, yeah, yeah, you know. Well, I think uh, that's really cool. You know, that's somebody who looked at what they did with their life and wanted to do something to to make sure that it mattered, and ended up doing this thing. I I did the math out, assuming that I'm correct, which I'm not gonna like put money on, but um, 64 gallons of blood over 32 years works out to something like yeah, eight, eight pints of blood per year. Which if you've ever donated blood you know that that knocks you down and i think there are even time limits on how often you can donate um, yeah. to make sure that your uh red blood cell count and iron counts are, are high enough so i mean that's a that is a significant commitment hi matthew again with a quick editorial note my math was right except i transposed the numbers it's actually 32 gallons of blood over 64 years which works out to four pints per year Still very impressive. Much more impressive than my short-term memory. Well, and every single time that he did give blood, he would immediately schedule his next appointment. You know, anytime there was a, you know, a mass calling outpouring for needing that, he would go sign up and then sign up again. So, right. yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty commendable for sure. Yeah, that's really inspiring, and also, you know, I know that uh, the American Red Cross has been facing some blood shortages lately, so, you know, I'm, I'm motivated, man. I'm, I'm going to go out and do it. I've been telling myself mm-hmm. I needed to schedule a donation here pretty soon, but I'm going to go do that. It's a great story. Yeah, they don't want my blood, but, <laughs> you know, otherwise I'd do that shit for sure. <laughs> so. I thought they were rela- relaxing the, the, LGBT the things, but I think they're still pretty strict or whatever. <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I guess it's they, worth used, they used to be able to be like, have you been to Europe or whatever? Because they're like mad cow. And they were like, if you've been to Europe in the last like three years or something, you can't go back. I, I don't think they do that anymore. Yeah. If you, if you spent some amount of uninterrupted time in Europe or some cumulative amount over the last 10 years or something, you were, you were barred from donating. I watch a lot of online Bundesliga soccer, and they're like, well, <laughs> that's the equivalent. It's the yeah. equivalent. Actually, we're going to need to revoke your passport, too. <laughs> so, but yeah, they gave him, like, a Lifetime Achievement Award. That was a pretty good high note, you know, as far as... Yeah, nice. Good high, high note. High note scope. So, so. excellent. <laughs> well, I think that, that'll wrap it up here. Thank you very much for tuning in for another week of the Liquid Flannel Podcast. Like us on um, iTunes and SoundCloud, and uh, follow us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel, and follow us individually. You can find me at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where can they find you? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where are you at? I'm at Matt the Great with a W. You have been listening to Liquid Flannel. Thanks for tuning in again, and have a great week. Flannel out. Flannel out. Over and out. Second to do now. Bye.